Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me is my beautiful wife, Erica, the Weaker Vessel. Hello, everyone. Also joined with us, again, making a second appearance on Awakening Reformation, is our good friend, Wes Mewburn. Did you say it right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. That's right. <laughs> well done, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you would like to get to know more about us, go to rebelalliancemedia.com. Check out the Rebel Podcast. Check out Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids podcast, as well as Redeeming History podcast that's coming out right now. We got blogs, articles, and teaching series, and actually a lot of new stuff coming that we can't talk about yet. Lots of exciting things. Yep. And then we also just started a Patreon. So if you are blessed by the ministry of Rebel Alliance and you want to contribute to help us keep this going and continue to grow it and do more things, we would greatly appreciate your financial contribution over at Patreon. Anything helps, honestly. So, And you can do one-time donations, monthly, what is it called, a subscription? Or, yeah, yeah I mean, subscription, is that what it is? I guess. But you get like, bonus content, Yep. possibly some freebies. That sort of stuff if you donate. Yeah. And there are different levels. Um, there's different tiered subscriptions in there. So just go check it out. All very hilariously Star Wars themed too. Yeah. So, Wes, how you doing tonight? I'm, I'm doing well, uh, Grant and Erica. Uh, I actually went to do the Patreon thing, and I think I'm uh, Stormtrooper level because I hit the donate button and missed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but then you did it again and, and nailed it, right? So you became a Jedi yeah. or something? I, well, I, I don't want to reveal my identity, but okay. I'm giving at least a few dollars a month. Yeah. Because you guys are that awesome. We really appreciate it, Wes. It's awesome. We did We did see that, so... You're you're the real deal, Wes. You're the real MVP. Well, thank you. So, Wes, you know what we found out today? What did we found out today? What we we found out that Focus on the Family is doing an event in Times Square, New York City, with Ben Sass. With Ben Sass, and they are they're calling the event Alive in New York City. So, a play on SNL, right? Nice. And it is a pro-life event. They're going to have speakers, musical uh, groups. And what they're doing, if if, uh, I mean, I'm sure everyone's familiar with Times Square. There's gigantic screens that surround you. And what they're going to do is they're going to have a doctor and a pregnant lady do a 4D. Biological lady. Biological lady. Um do a 4D ultrasound and it's going to be projected up on the screens. No way. And this is happening on uh, May 4th. So only about a month away, a little less than a month From away. 2 to 4 p.m. Yep. 2.30 to 4.30 p.m. Okay. So anyone in the area come out because they're wanting yeah. all the pro-lifers to come out and flood Times Square. Yeah. And this is in the wake of the the terrible legislation that was passed 
in New York. We did an episode probably two or three episodes ago talking about being a Christian in New York. And this was one of the things we talked about was just how anti-life they are. Mm-hmm. And this came, this was shown in Governor Cuomo's legislation and then in all the people surrounding him clapping and cheering mm-hmm. for him to allow abortions all the way through to 40 weeks and just expanding um, state funded abortion and just I mean he went almost I mean he went to the nth degree here in New York mm-hmm. to provide abortions and in response focus on the family is having this event so I already registered our family we're going and we're gonna try to get our friends that we have here uh, rallied up so we can go and go to Times Square and if anyone is within driving distance. And you just need a place to crash. I mean, we've got a couch, we've yeah. got a floor. Just hit us up. We would just love for as many people to come out and just like support this event. Yes, please. So, so that's what we found out today, Wes. That's awesome. I'm like so pumped Seriously. up. My my chaplain yeah. was telling my chaplain about it, and I was just like, I'm really excited. And he goes, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll be uh, you'll be seeing us share share this because yeah, it's. So worth it to to go there and stand for life. And I just think it'll be such an awesome example for Christians in such a anti-Christian city as New York is. Mm-hmm. So it's super cool. I'm really excited. Well, interestingly enough, I've got uh, family on Long Island. Oh, yeah. There. Um, pretty sure a lot of them, if not most of them, are, are pro-choice. Oh, so okay. uh, I'll see if I can't uh, flood my timeline with some uh, shares. Yeah. So if they just happen to be in Times Square and get to see it, um, I, I think it'll be really cool. But very similar to, um, I don't know if y'all seen it yet, that Unplanned movie. Mm-hmm. You had a yeah. to see that yet? No, yeah, we no. haven't seen it yet. Oh, man. We took the family to see it over the weekend. Superb. Surprisingly, or okay. not surprisingly, a lot of theaters here in New York City aren't showing it. There is somewhere nearby oh. that mm-hmm. showed it for just two days. Yep. So, it might be hard to go see for us. It's yeah, it's been uh, not very popular. <laughs> go figure. Well, it, when it, it inevitably comes out on DVD, I'll make sure I snag a copy and send it your way if you haven't seen it by then. Yeah, it's we're definitely going to see good. it somehow. Yeah. So, but they show they they show the ultrasound it's not 4d which i'm i'm still amazed i've never seen a 4d ultrasound like live mm. and yeah. to think it's going to be broadcast in times square that's that gives me goosebumps I, that's what i'm saying i just read it and i was like oh my goodness that is incredible that's going to be yeah. such an event that really will well, be well it's cool because one of my friends who lives in washington state got something in the mail from focus on the family and she was the one that sent me her little letter and said you guys have to do this so it's even cool how like from one coast to the next, like yeah. words words getting out from Christians, like go, go do this, go support this, go be a part of this. It's really cool. I'm super excited. All right. So let's get into our conversation for the night. We had Wes back on because him and I had kind of a outtakes conversation and we decided we probably should just call each other again and have this conversation for for the podcast because it seems to be a conversation that a lot of people are having. It seems to be a topic that is coming up more and more amongst Reformed people um, recently, and that's the topic of theonomy. And I'll just say, you know, theonomy is the idea, 
Theo, Theos is God, and then the namas, the nonomy part of it, just means law. It's a Greek word just meaning God's law. The Rebels did a great episode on theonomy a year ago, uh, probably about a year ago. Um, I would sit, I would encourage everyone to go back and find that episode and listen to it. It was a very good introduction to what theonomy is. And basically what we're going to talk about is if God's law should be the law of the land. And then we're just going to wade through those waters and maybe get lost a little bit. But No, because Wes is here to keep us on track. Yeah, no kidding. But, you know, the reason why I think this keeps coming up is because social justice is a really big topic right now. And what it comes down to is, well, what is justice? Who gets to define justice? Mm -hmm. And if we're going to do social justice, if we're going to do right by society, again, who gets to define that? What is the authority there? Is there an authority? And so all of these questions are being asked and it's leading, you know, thinkers and people who take their Bible seriously to go into the topic of theonomy. Well, does it still apply? Does it not? How does it apply? And that sort of thing. To what extent, yeah. Yeah. So... That was what we were going to talk about. Wes, so let me ask you at the beginning here, what was your initial reaction to theonomy and how were you introduced to it? I uh, I would say my initial introduction was through the ministry of, of Apologia. Me too. Uh, and I, I guess my first reactions were, I've got bigger fish to fry. I was still kind of trying to figure out what this whole reformed theology thing was about. So. Mm-hmm. It, it that seemed to be more of an application, and I was still trying to find my footing on the foundation. And the more I got into it, the you know, the more I, I got into my cage stage with the Calvinism and you know all of that. And theonomy just seemed to be something that was always there, but not anything that I really gave a whole lot of attention to. And I think here lately, over the last three, four years, it's something that I find constantly coming back into um, the, the very the forefront of my mind. When I'm thinking about cultural issues, like you said, uh, social justice, we're talking about abortion earlier. Um, you know, last episode, we, we referenced the you know, same-sex marriage and the LGBT thing. It's like, how do we engage in these things? And mm-hmm. uh, so kind of going back to how I got into Reformed theology, I really wanted to start from some kind of core principles, right? So, so how, how to begin thinking about theonomy, I think that the first thing that I want to do is maintain that Reformation principle of sola scriptura, which would say that the scripture is our ultimate authority in faith and practice. Right. And, and so by definition, Part of what it means to practice is how we act in society, how we reflect our values in the broader culture. So Apologia was the place that I first heard of it, too. Um, I think I had heard of people who believed in that, but I never really heard anybody teach it or show how it could be applied. And that that was Apologia that did that for me. And my initial reaction was opposition. I thought, no, that's that's been fulfilled or done away with and some of those common arguments you hear. And more and more, though, when I heard them teach it, they taught it in a way that was winsome, first of all, 
But when you saw the, the mess of society, you really did see God's law and you're like, wow, there is a lot of wisdom there, which is what the beginning of Deuteronomy says is the nations are going to see this law I'm giving you and they're going to see how wise it is. Yeah. So then do you think that your opposition to theonomy was based with some like residual dispensationalism that was left inside of you? Like Wes was coming from the reform standpoint of sola scriptura and you're saying you were resistant to it because you felt as though the law of God had been fulfilled in Christ and so it didn't have any abiding validity over your life. Yes. I I for sure had some dispensational influence there that that made me think that that is done away with now. We're in a new era. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's probably sure. Because at that point, I wasn't holding to covenant theology either, which connects the entire Bible together. So I would have still thought that it was done away with. But so one of the things that started to pull me in was that a lot of our laws are laws from God's law. I said law way <laughs> too many times. But... We say don't murder. We say don't steal. You know, we we don't bear false witness in court. Like you don't, you know, there's perjury laws and all this kind of stuff is from the Bible. Yeah. And so I started right. to think, well, I mean, we kind of follow it already. Why am I so opposed to this? So, Wes, what would you say then to the person that says, well, it was fulfilled. The, the law was fulfilled. Jesus said, yeah, I didn't come to abolish, but I came to fulfill it. What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, I think it's a, a common uh, response to I- any type of holding up of God's law now is is this antinomian sense of Jesus took care of the law, we're under grace. Mm-hmm. And the, the problem with that is the Bible has, you know, chapters like Romans 6 that says, you know, yes, you are free, but free to do righteousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how do we know what righteousness is? Mm-hmm. Luckily, God has provided his standard, or, or rather, sovereignly, God has revealed his standard for righteousness. And, and so if, if, if we were to say that Jesus kept the law, therefore we're free to do whatever we want, we run into many different types of errors, whether it's the pure antinomianism of pure grace, which turns out to be cheap grace, or this idea of a carnal Christian that I'm saved and now I can do whatever I want to mm-hmm. with my flesh, mm-hmm. um, not realizing that the redemption is of the whole man, not just the spirit and our soul, however we understand that a dichotomy, but also of the body itself. And so I, I would, I think my initial response is to to empathize with them because I've, I've seen it, I've understood that perspective, but at the same time I would want to, keeping with the principle of sola scriptura, where do you see that in scripture? Yeah. Where do you see Jesus saying, now that I have fulfilled the law, it doesn't apply to you anymore? Instead, we see Jesus saying. Yes, every jot and tittle will be fulfilled. And mm-hmm. oh, by the way, you have seen it uh, written that you shall not murder. But I say, if you harbor hate against your neighbor in your heart, you're guilty of murder. I was going to say, it's in the same Sermon on the Mount that yeah. he declares he will be the fulfillment of the law and he's expanding the reach of the law in, in, in a sense. Right. He didn't do away with it. He actually just gave it a deeper meaning, a deeper application. Exactly. So I've heard from the uh, New Covenant theology 
Sect. Subscribers. <laughs> sect. Well, let's maybe not call them a sect. <laughs> it's pretty bad, but... Um, and, and they tend to be kind of antinomian, and they claim it's all done away with. All we adhere to now is the law of Christ. And so that's love God, love your neighbor. Go ahead. The whole Old Testament, right? Yeah, I know. The exactly. whole law of the prophets. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, that's what Jesus said. The law and the prophets hang on these. But that verse, the love your neighbor as yourself, comes from Leviticus. Well, and the problem is that the law reflected the character of God, too. So to divorce the law from, you know, what it's reflecting, which is God's character, is super mm-hmm. dangerous. Because now you're basically saying that the Old Testament was a different character than Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, the character... Uh, shown in the Old Testament is different than the, than Christ, who is deity. Like right. it's almost like separating Jesus from deity, because the Old Testament God can't be the New Testament God. Yeah, exactly. We're still to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's the eschatological end of our salvation, right? Is to become right. like Jesus. The old Eastern side of the church called it deification. Actually, I'm learning this in seminary right now. You're so smart. And, <laughs> and it's uh, the professor is even like us in the West, we kind of get creeped out when we hear people talk about Christians being uh, deified. But this was how they described the 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 end, you know, the glorification of the saints in becoming like Jesus. But anyway, if it's to become like God, to become like him, and if the law is a reflection of his character, and then obviously Jesus is the embodied mm-hmm. revelation of that, then that's what we're supposed to look like. We're supposed to look like the law. And everything Paul tells us to do, all the command, all the imperatives of the New Testament, all reflect Old Testament law. That That's all they had. Right. That was their Bible. Yep. So when they said, you know, follow the scriptures, follow the, you know, the fathers are our example in 1 Corinthians and all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for training and correction, training in righteousness and all that. He's talking about the Old Testament. So how in the world could we ever say that's been fulfilled, done away with? We don't need that. I know I'm kind of arguing against and we all agree here. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, those were those were the things that started to really pull me into theonomy and go, I think I think it still applies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm reading my New Testament and everything mirrors or harkens back to Old Testament themes or passages, even even when Paul says about leaders in the church, you know, he says, even the law says, don't muzzle the ox. I mean, he takes an Old Testament law about how to treat your, your animals. animals and applies it like it's still a valid verse. Because right. it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so we should probably talk about Romans 13, huh? Well, I, yeah, I, I do. But before we, we get into that, I, I would like to point out, and I love this, that in a conversation about theonomy, the whole conversation has centered around the individual approach to it, the, the effect on the individual sanctification and in the, mm-hmm. in the holiness of the believer. So I, I, I don't I don't want to miss that. And when we talk about theonomy, so often it goes right to civil. You just want a theocratic nation, yeah. You know, with President Trump being you know high priest or something like no, that. No, 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 and no. And I think no, it's, no. but I, I think it's fantastic that when we start this conversation, we're talking about how the law impacts us as individual believers, how yeah. it relates to us within the church. Uh, but 
Yes, by all means. Romans 13. Here we go. Well, and and I think those two aspects are, are pretty much how you outline this, is you have the, the moral law, which will largely guide the individual. And then in in the Old Testament law, there was the civil law, for lack of a better word there, that right. that would guide society. I know people's instant objection is going to be, but we're not Israel. Well, right, because we're not dispensationalists either. Um, <laughs> we're the true Israel. But uh, I, I think we can safely, for, for the sake of brevity in the discussion, say that the ceremonial aspects as a whole have been satisfied and fulfilled in Christ. And, and as we see in Hebrews, he is the once-for-all sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the Old Testament sacrificial laws, like that's part of the law that no longer applies to the New Testament believer. And so I think for the sake of this discussion, being able to, to identify, yes, there are some laws that don't apply to us precisely because they have been fulfilled in Christ. They're mm-hmm. still important, but because Christ fulfilled them and it's his righteousness that is applied to us, we don't have to worry about that sacrifice. He took care of it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. now we can divert our attention more to the civil and the moral aspects of the law in right. society now. And it and it's not like all of a sudden we as Christians don't need a sacrifice. We still do. It's just that a perfect one was sacrificed. So there wasn't, you know, that's exactly what Hebrews says is now we don't need to go in a year from now and redo it. It was it was perfect, so you're once good. Once and for all. Yeah, once and for all. So that was a eye opener for me to realize that it's not like oh it's done away with now. No, it's just it's still being the effects of that sacrifice are permanent, permanent and carry forward throughout eternity. Right. So, so yeah, it's not like one part of the law got chipped away now. It's. Well, that's where... It's met its end. Yeah, that's where just having uh, biblical theology is helpful, too, because Mm -hmm. when Jesus redeemed his people, they were redeemed finally, like perfectly. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have to, like, keep redeeming people over and over again, like, every single year when a new Christian became a new Christian, he was sacrificed again. That's not how it works. It was once and for all. Yeah. It's finished. It's done. So... Those that are his elect are redeemed, so that mm-hmm. part of the law is fulfilled in Christ, finally. Well, and on the topic of sacrifice, before we get into Romans 13, you know, I told you all we've been going through Romans 12 and 13 in, in our Bible study class yeah. at church, so this is fresh on my mind. Go back to the beginning of Romans 12, where Paul appeals uh, by the mercies of God to present our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. It, it, our bodies yeah. living is the holy and acceptable sacrifice to God that is our spiritual worship and, and it treats us not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our mind that by testing we may discern what is the will of God. How do we know that? Mm-hmm. It's in the Bible. Yeah. Mm. So before we even get to any kind of application, we have to understand that our bodies, our minds have to be transformed from within. That's good, Wes. All right, so what does Romans 13 say? I've got it pulled up in the uh, the message translation. Are you all okay with that? Nope, you can pick another one. <laughs> 
I've got the ESV. How far you want me to go down into it? Uh, well, we got verses one through seven. If you think that's good, you can read the whole thing. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. The spirit can lead Let you. Let every where, person. Whoop. How does that go? How, the, Let the spirit lead you where your faith is without borders, or whatever that stupid song is. Oh, don't even. <laughs> I can't even handle that nonsense. <laughs> hey, Grant. Yep. I think Paul says she shall remain quiet. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I don't even know what the song is, so I probably should be quiet because <laughs> I can't even make my joke correctly. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's been a long day. So, so Romans 13, yeah, I'll just go ahead and, and okay. read through it. If, if you want to stop me and talk about something, go right ahead. Okay. But let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So the governing authorities are appointed by God. So that means Obama and Trump were appointed by God. (laughs) And that wherever you land on all of that, you have to admit that. But they are a deacon of the Lord. That's the Greek word there is he's a servant of the Lord. It's deacon. He's the one that serves God in that role. And so what the onimists say is that the actual job then is to punish the wrongdoer, which again, who defines that? And you can't find any better definition than God's. And so that's what a theonomist would advocate is that we need to stick with God's definitions, not man's made up ones or just 51% of the population of a certain area or what have you, God's definition is always going to be better. So the wrongdoer, what righteousness is, all that kind of stuff should be defined by the Bible. Well, you know, I I can't help but think that when Obama was president, all of the evangelifish and liberal Christians that I knew would love to quote Romans 13. Mm -hmm. And for the last couple of years, they've been pretty quiet. I wonder why. So it doesn't mean (laughs) that God blesses everything that a ruler does. It actually means if that ruler is not following God and upholding his righteousness, then they're going to be judged Mm -hmm. by God. And I know this may be extreme too, but we're being judged because of what these leaders have been doing for decades, really, because with homosexuality being legalized and now you know, you're, you're punished if you don't agree with it. It's not even just allowed anymore. You're being, um, you're being ostracized ostracized if you don't support it. And abortion 
in our land, all these kinds of things that have been allowed to happen, whether it's Clinton, Bush, Obama, or Trump. I know Trump is actually doing things to try to defund Planned Parenthood, and he's actually outspoken about being pro-life, whatever whatever he was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. I'm just talking about what he's doing right now. But sure. regardless, our, our land is being judged, and Psalm 110 says that corpses piling up in your land means that God's judging you. God doesn't give him a pass just because he appointed this leader. If a land is disobeying him and walking away from him, he's going to appoint a leader to judge those people. We see this all through the Bible. Yeah, I was going to say it's it's story after story after story in the Old Testament. When, yeah, when the Israelites walked away from the Lord in the book of Judges, what did he do? He gave them over to the Midianites or mm-hmm. to the Philistines or whoever it was to enslave them. It's a punishment when we're given a terrible leader. It's because we're jacked up. We're doing something wrong. Yeah, pretty much. It wasn't it Calvin who said when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you, I, I think you point out a, a really good thing to take from here that, that this passage, um, if not primarily, then certainly one of the main messages here is identifying the role of the magistrate. Right. It's an ideal. Right. Uh, But also, and I I think this is where some of the, some of the confusion, some of the um, lack of conviction comes from, from genuinely good, good willed or, or good hearted Christians here when we're told, you know, just in the, the closing verses of, of chapter 12, you know, uh, to bless those who persecute you, uh, you know, uh, to repay no one evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then immediately going into this ideal of the government, knowing that at the time they were not in an ideal government. Mm-hmm. And and so for for Christians today... How would what what do you say is the proper response when the civil magistrate overextends or acts in an unjust manner? Are we to just blindly submit, or is there a way that we can biblically respond to that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that a Christian obviously has a duty to follow and obey God over against government, over against man, which is what the apostles said in Acts. We, we, you know, we obey man rather than God. Galatians 1.10, fearing right. man versus God. Yeah. And, and I think when a ruler is acting in a unjust way, again, you have to take biblical definitions here, in an unjust way and is forcing you to act the same way or they are oppressing you in some sort of way that it is not unjust this is my understanding it's not unjust to resist it and it's not unjust to um disobey them well because galatians 1:10 says if i'm trying to please man i'm no longer trying to please god yeah so if what we're trying to do is you know keep up with the social norms and embrace homosexual marriage or um, women's rights, women's productive, reproductive rights, mm-hmm. um, all for the sake of, quote unquote, peacemaking or loving our neighbor or whatever lame excuse Christians are using. We're trying to please man instead of 
trying to be obedient to God and we're no longer pleasing God. Yeah. So there is an example in the early church where everybody was supposed to offer their little pinch to the Roman emperor, right? And Mm -hmm. some Christians saw this as idol worship, as worship, like I, I only pledge allegiance to the Lord and that's it. And sure, if that's your conviction, totally fine. And I know there are some people that won't even pledge allegiance to the flag of America. And for the very same reason, they say, I only pledge allegiance to Jesus. I think it's idolatry. Yeah. That's fine. If that is your conviction, your conscience, I think you're okay. I don't agree. But I don't think you're sinning for thinking that. But then there were some Christians in the early church who would pinch the, you know, give the little pinch of incense. And they just were like, well, I'm not worshiping him. Like I go to church, I worship God. I'm just doing this so I don't die. Another and so, but they were treated bad by some of the ones that didn't pinch the incense. And there were other Christians who would go get their little certificate that, that, proved that they took the pinch of incense and offered it to the emperor, they would go buy it like black market in the city. And whenever the Roman soldiers would come around, they would ask for this, this certificate proving they did it and they would show them and let them off. And it was completely fake. They show just, them their black market one. Yeah. And, and they just would let them, they would let them go. So, and I, I learned about this and going, man, they were shrewd. That was awesome because they were able to still stay within that culture, that city or whatever, and go to church, have their underground church, share the gospel and continue to minister, you know, and then they just kind of took care of the nonsense that was happening in the government. And I personally don't think there was, they did anything wrong by disobeying the government's laws of you have to do this. And they just found a a black market. black market way to get around it in order to continue to minister in that area. And so what I think you're saying is to, like they were cunning by getting their black right. market version of the certificate so they didn't have to offer the pinch of incense to the emperor. Yeah. And I yeah. think good. I think they we do this same thing when we've smuggled bibles across the border of China and we bring bibles in sneaky ways into certain restricted areas that are ruled by uh, Sharia law or or whatever. Like, we're doing the same thing. We're disobeying their law because it's an unjust law. So then why are so many people uh, up in arms about, you know, well, you need to obey the governing authorities. Like you said, Wes, people brought it up um, during the time of, of Obama. People that you knew brought it up during the time of Obama. Not so much now, though. <laughs> but not so much now. <laughs> I, I think another example that comes to mind is when, uh, in, in Daniel, when the advisors to the king convinced him to set up that, that law that said if you pray to anyone but the king, that you mm-hmm. would be thrown to the lions. Yep. But what was Daniel's response? He didn't go out in the middle of the town square and worship God publicly he continued his faithfulness uh, in his own home right and it kind of brings to mind and i don't know if this is maybe the, the best connection but when jesus says when you pray don't don't or when you practice your righteousness don't do it publicly so that you may be seen mm-hmm. practicing it like the pharisees did but do it in secret because your father in heaven rewards 
what is done in secret. And, and I think there's there's something to that aspect of, of, like you say, with the black market people. They weren't, you know, going out there bragging about, oh, look what I did. It was, let me go grab this from the black market. When they come, then I'll have it. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't uh, a, an outwardly, overtly, you know, defiant act. Yeah. And yet at the same time, they were still remaining faithful to their conscience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I think Daniel's a great example of resisting the powers that be that are acting unjust and still being blessed by God. God did not say Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sinned. The Bible praises them. And uh, another right. example is Rahab. You know, she lied, misled the soldiers looking for uh, the spies. And she was she's heralded in Jesus genealogy and in Hebrews 11. Mm -hmm. By faith, she disobeyed the civil government, you know. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Part two is going to come out next week. And so thank you, Wes, for coming on. And everyone tune in next week for another episode. We pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the Spirit. And until next time, get woke. Yeah. Let's start with the microphone check. One, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search. They say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gained, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart from original sin. The effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a Dark state, Alaska in the winter time, sour in our frames. Left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames. Cause we're powerless to change. If you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily. As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3. Verse 1 is my thesis, it's the deepest Truth that should get you speechless What scripture teaches will fill in the missing pieces Picture Jesus meeting up with Nicodemus Perhaps it was fright about the other Pharisees' Wicked spite against Christ that turned this into naked night He called the rabbi and gave him props Said he was a teacher from God Jesus replied, made him stop Regarding the kingdom of God, no one's going in In fact, you can't even see it unless you're born again That must have consumed and stretched his mind Cause he said, can a man enter his mother's womb a second? Naturalistically, the only way for him to hear it Jesus said you must be born of the water and the spirit No other way to enter heaven That sounds like Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 In this new birth, the spirit is the source and the agent The water symbolizes spiritual purification Flesh can only produce flesh, that's true and factual Regenerating work of the spirit is supernatural It's kind of like the wind, which is free East to west can't perceive the steps You can only see its effects In the same way the Holy Spirit chooses whom he pleases to sovereignly open their eyes to the truth of Jesus.
If it wasn't for the spirit's mysterious operation, uh -huh. we would all be under serious condemnation. I'd still be rejecting the sun. If God hadn't said, let there be light, like Genesis 1, yeah. And just like the light could not refuse to shine, irresistible grace has renewed my mind. Let's exalt the king who died and truly is risen. The new birth is not the effect of human decision, but the cause. It changes our natural habitation and situation. It's a radical transformation. I was cursed and polluted, so my dirt was inexcusable with new internal pupils. His person is beautiful. His worth is indisputable. The land is amazing. A standing ovation for his work in the crucible. So let us respond with true worship and love to the God who was given new birth from above.